Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode is supported by Gold Stack Accounts, the genuinely lovely accountant you need in your life. Masters of Zero, Free Agent, and QuickBooks, they somehow make it fun to sort your freelance finances. Set up a free chat today at goldstackaccounts.com/slash being freelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for UI UX design consultant Rafal Tamar. I was always financing on the side, like even working full time. I always had some clients on the side. I always did some projects. Like I wanted to stay in the game of freelancing because that was like my backup plan. It wasn't a good decision to like give up all the client work and focus only on the products. But it's good to have the, that balance. So have some products, have some client work, so I can keep experimenting with my products. I love designing. I couldn't imagine a day that I'm not designing, that I only manage projects and not doing the actual work. Yes, yeah, so there is Rafal, who's originally from Poland, now lives in Chicago. I need to just remind you that beingfreelance.com is the website where you can find all of the episodes, uh, also the videos and the articles, and crucially, a link through to the community. Come and join freelancers from around the world. Remember, you are not alone being freelance. And you can also find the link through to Gold Stack Accounts, who support this episode. Thank you so much to them. Um, you can support it too, though. If you fancy shouting me coffee and biscuits, if you like what I do with being freelance, you can either do it as a one-off or as a monthly uh, thing to support the show. Go to beingfreelance.com slash coffee. But honestly, I know times are tight. It's a weird old world we're in right now. I mean, I'm recording yet another episode sitting in my garden <laughs> on lockdown. So don't feel that you have to. If you want to help at all, you can leave a review or share it with other people. You know, that's awesome as well. Help spread the word, basically. Anyway, let's crack on. Find out what it's like being freelance for UI and UX design consultant Rafal Tamal. Hey, Rafal. Hi, Steve. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for doing this. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Yeah, so I started freelancing very early. Um, probably when I was still in school, when I was 16, that's how, that's how I started making some money on the side. And I was still in high school. And I remember my, my teachers telling me that I should spend more time learning. And if I want to become someone, I need to you know attend all the classes. I need to go to college and all that stuff. But even in high school, when I was freelancing, I started making more money than my teachers did. So I knew <laughs> there was something in it. And maybe, maybe you know, college and, and all that stuff, maybe it's not for me. So that's how I started. I started, you know, looking for some small gigs. When I was in school, I was hired to even make some projects for students. And I was helping them finish their, their classes in college and universities. And they paid me for it. So I knew there was something in it. There's, there must be more uh, that I can do and and that's how it all started wow so after high school did you did you go to college or did you just think ah clearly I can make a living from from what I know already yeah so at the end of high school I had a big decision to make I finished with honors and all that stuff so all my teachers expected me to go to college I have to go to college but after talking to some of my friends who who went that road and they told me like they're teaching us stuff, you know, that we already knew a couple of years ago that you could already learn from internet online. And <laughs> they're teaching us some outdated stuff here and it's it's waste of time. And I saw I saw my friends who who were, you know, very good developers, very good program programmers and designers, and 
it slowed them down going to college and learning all this stuff in a different way. And I was always a self-taught designer slash developer. So to me, it was much easier for me even in school. Like I could listen at the in the class, I could listen to the teacher, but I had to go back to home. I had to open the book and read it myself to understand it. Like I couldn't understand anything that people were trying to teach me. I have to do this myself. So that was like natural uh, way of learning for me. And at the end of school, I got the opportunity to move to the United States. And so that was my decision. I stay in Poland, probably have to go to college, probably have to do all this, you know, stuff that we were supposed to do. Or I can drop everything, move to the United States and start over and see see what else is out there. So I chose to to drop everything and move to the United States. And and that was a good decision to me. Uh, when I came to the United States, nobody was asking about the college. Nobody was asking about the degree. I could I got my first full-time job as a PHP developer, and I was 18 years old. And they didn't even ask me about the you know diploma or or what college I I graduated. I just passed the test for a PHP developer, and they hired me. So that was that was the world I was looking for. Flipping heck. So <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was that was surprising. Uh, I came to the United States. I came to Chicago. I'm Polish, and Chicago is known for having a big Polish community. So when I came here, everyone told me like, "You either gonna be a, a construction worker or you're gonna work in a factory." Like, there's no other job for for Polish people in Chicago. Like, you know, that's that's the way it is. And <laughs> everyone told me this, and I was a little bit discouraged. But you know, the first job I I I tried to apply to, and I was afraid, like I was 18 years old, I was afraid to show up on an interview if they see me as a, you know, young, uh, young person like this, that would discredit my, my skills and everything. But they didn't even ask me for interview. They just sent me a PHP test over the internet. So they didn't even know how old I am. So I passed that test and they, then they invited me for interview. So probably that was the advantage of the situation. So mm-hmm. they knew I have the skills. Then they saw me and they knew I'm like too young to go to, to already have uh, any degrees, anything. So they didn't even ask for it, probably. Wow. Just to put that in perspective, how long ago was that? What year was that? Uh, that was 2007. Okay. So clearly a lot has happened since. So, so what happened next? Yeah, so, so that was my first, uh, my first job as a full-time job as a PHP developer. I started as a developer and I transitioned slowly into design. I worked in that my in that first company for for two and a half years, but I've I I was always financing on the side. Like even working full time, I always had some clients on the side. I always did some projects. Like I wanted to stay in the game of, of freelancing because that was like my backup plan. And again, living here on my own when I was nineteen, and you know in the, in this big city, renting my own apartment, like and having like two three thousand uh, dollars in savings like i was afraid what happens if i lose my job if i even have money to buy a ticket back to poland (laughs) or you know what happens then so i wanted to have as many backup plans as i could have so freelancing was one of those and after working two and a half years in that company i decided to to quit and to go full-time freelance and that was probably the scariest decision of my life and even much more difficult than moving to the united states but it was also worth it because uh, then I could focus 100% on my on my freelancing, start looking for more clients, and 
just open up to a lot more opportunities. And from there, I, I met Brian Gardner, the founder of Studio Press. So I started working with Brian Gardner with Studio Press as a contractor. And when they started, um, when they off- and then they offered me a job at Copyblogger Media. Copyblogger Media was a company that uh, combined Studio Press and Copyblogger and a few other companies. They created one big company and they offered me a job as a lead designer at the company. How how did you meet them, by the way? Like, are, are they based in Chicago or, or was it an online thing? Yeah, Brian Gardner is based in Chicago. And it's actually a funny story because uh, when I was freelancing, I saw Brian Gardner. I was following Studio Press. I was following uh, everything that happens in WordPress. And that was a time I was slowly moving in, into the WordPress space. So I started following uh, Studio Press, Brian Gardner. And I saw Brian Gardner announcing that they are looking for some designers to work with on some projects. And I emailed Brian. I used the, used the contact form and emailed that I'm interested in working with them. I showed my projects and I never heard back uh, from, from Brian. So I thought like, well, maybe I'm not, not good enough. So I, so I kept working. I kept freelancing. And every time I, I finish a project for a client... I put it out there, someone in the CSS galleries, design galleries, everywhere, whenever it was possible. I wanted to I wanted to see my designs. Um, that was the way for me to to get some attention. And and then I got an email from Brian Gardner saying that he saw some of my projects on one of the CSS galleries and he sees I'm in Chicago. And if I want, if I want to meet up and, and talk about some some uh, some work I could do for Studio Press, and I thought he's replying to my first email uh, that I used <laughs> to, to apply for the job. And he said he not, he didn't even see my message. Like you know, they got probably a thousand of messages, and and they just didn't see my message and all of that. But he reached out to me <laughs> somehow. Awesome. Yeah. So we met uh, before our meeting. I even created a project. Like I wanted to show him my skills. So. I sat all night and uh, I designed a, a possible theme for Studio Press just to show him my skills, what I can do. And he was surprised to see that I was able to do that uh, and, and prepared for that <laughs> for that meeting. And um, so so then we started working uh, together. First, I worked as a contractor. So I did some projects for, for Brian, for Studio Press. We were working like this uh, for almost a year. And then they offered me... Uh, a job at Copyblogger Media once they started uh, establishing a, big, a bigger company. Um, and so I became the lead designer at Copyblogger. I was like 22 back then. And to me, it was like a, like a huge shift from what I was doing before. Because now I was working on with a, with a multi-million uh, dollar companies, uh, multi-million sites, people, with people like Brian Clark, Chris Brogan, Diane Rose, uh, Neil Patel, like I was, I was able to design to design some for some of those biggest websites, uh, some of the biggest blogs out there. So that was that was a shock to me. Wow! When you went in house, did you carry on freelancing on the side? Like because you mentioned before that that was your backup plan. Yeah, I, I was still freelancing, and even though I had a very good stable income, and I still felt like I need to keep freelancing i need to stay in the game i need to have i need to stay in contact with my clients and and i was always always clear about that like i will never give up my freelancing 
So even when I got hired uh, by Copyblogger, uh, I told them like <laughs> I will still be doing some freelance work on the side because that's my thing. I, I can't imagine like give this up and and like you know disconnect from from this world because it's, I know how hard it is to get back into that. So I kept my personal website. I I was building my portfolio all the time. I was working on my personal brand. Like doing everything from the outside, like I was still available, was still a designer for hire, even though my full-time job was was at Copyblogger Media. One thing I realized I never asked you, which I I inevitably ask everyone, uh, so just to hit pause on where you are right now, back in your story, like how did you find those first freelance clients? When you moved to the States, when you were working in-house for two and a half years, you were freelancing on the side. How Mm -hmm. were you finding those freelance clients yeah, so in the beginning it was it was very difficult. Like I was when I was in Poland, it was much easier to find clients because I, I had some friends, I had some connections, I could you know tell people around. Um, I'm a designer, I can design websites, and like you know that message was carried along somewhere. And then someone contacted me, like a friend of my friend told me that you're doing a website, and so that was much easier in Poland. Uh, so when I moved to the States, I didn't know anyone. Like I was completely like I moved here and I lived with my my father for the first year. He was the only person I knew when I came here, but you know, he didn't have any contacts to get me any work. So I started like, you know, hustling around the internet, like joined some forums and replied comments to people, helping people with, with some website problems they had. I started commenting on some other people's blogs and like trying just to be helpful. And from one of those forums um, where I gave someone an advice or some tips how to fix their website, then they reach out to me and like, hey, maybe I just pay you and you, you'll do this for me because it's too too difficult. And then I, you know, I took that gig, I did that work, and then that person recommended someone else to me uh, to fix their website. And that's somehow, you know, uh, the message... Uh, Got, got out there. Uh, I also created a lot of like fake design projects. Uh, like, you know, I started just designing a website that I, I wasn't even my client. I just came up with with a business name and designed a website and I put it in, in one of those CSS galleries just to show mm. my design skills. And that was good enough to, to get a client uh, who liked the design and even asked me if if they can buy this design, if they can just, <laughs> if I can just change the the name of the business because they saw it was like a template, it wasn't a real uh, client side. So uh, slowly, step by step, uh, I got I got through this. And in the beginning, I did also a lot of you know small sides for like hundred dollars for like two three hundred dollars. That was my beginnings. I did some free websites for charities just to, you know, as much as I could get my name out there. And, you know, the more people knew me, they start recommending somewhere. And, 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 I, and I got through this. And how did you manage to fit all of the work in and side projects for that matter? So all of that stuffed into your day, especially when, when you were full time in places as well. How did you manage your time? Yeah, so... You know, in the beginning, I was young. I had a lot of time on my hands. I didn't have family. Uh, I didn't have kids, so I could just work on nights and on weekends. And that's that's how I did my, my side work, uh, some of side projects. When I started working for, for Copyblogger, I didn't have to worry that much about, you know, you know like getting those small $100, $100 projects. Then I started getting like five, ten thousand $10,000 projects. So 
So I could take one project like this for every two, three months and, and be fine just to stay in the game, just to do some of those projects and, you know, didn't have to hustle that much. But also when I was uh, working for Copyblogger, I focused more on building my, my personal brand than focusing on taking clients because I already was making good money uh, for my full-time job. So I didn't have to worry that much about the money, but I wanted to use the fact that I'm working for Copyblogger. I wanted to use that as much as I could and somehow benefit from that and bring that into my personal side, into my personal brand. So so I spend more time on writing my blog. I publish an ebook. I, you know, educated people about uh, design, about development, and a lot of people got, um, you know, they knew me from Copyblogger, so they knew this someone must be legit. Uh, let's sign up for his newsletter, and that's how I started building my personal brand. That later and now I can use to to do all of the client work, all the freelance work. That's so cool. So when you were creating that personal brand, who was your audience? People like you or potential clients? Yeah, so most of the people were, were people from the WordPress. And when you look at the WordPress community, it's a mix of like uh, do-it-yourself type of people who know a little bit of design, a little bit of uh, code, but not enough to like create a custom website. But they know enough to be dangerous in WordPress and like, you know, <laughs> take a theme, customize it, put it out there. But they always need something more. Like they need a custom landing page. They need a custom how to create a custom call to action or hero section. And that's where I came in, like helping people to fill those gaps. Like you already have a website. Here's how to customize it. And I feel like I had this, um, that was my audience of my niche of all those website owners who had their website. They wanted to have something more, something more custom, but you know, when they, they are not developers or designers, so they could learn something from me. They, they could benefit from that, but, but if they, and then a lot of those people just contacted me, Hey, let's, you know, can I just hire you to create a custom design for, for me? Because you know, I was playing my site for years. I was customizing it. My business is doing now much better. Now I'm ready to pay for a full custom website. And that's that's how I turn some of those people in my audience into clients, I think. Mm. And you, you mentioned an, a newsletter and a blog and an ebook. Was was the ebook free for people to sign up to your newsletter? And what were you doing with your newsletter? So so many questions. Bad interviewing, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's uh it's it's, it's these are good questions because the way I did that, you know, like five years ago is different. I do this today. Like five years ago, I, you know, I started blogging and and I was writing articles. All everything was free. I did some free tools for designers, like Wireframe Kit for Photoshop, Web Style Guide for Photoshop, like all those free tools. So I was collecting newsletters from those free tools that people could download. But my ebook was about designing uh, in Photoshop, and it was like a little bit higher level. If you you have all those, those you know those all those tools, and you have your website, but now you take it want to take it to the next level. Here's my ebook. I will show you how I do these things and how to design. And so my ebook wasn't free; it was it was a premium product, and uh, it was my first uh, my first premium product I sold from my website. 
But today, again, I have some free stuff that I get people to sign up to my newsletter. I have my typography course. That is a premium product. I have uh, design tools as well, premium design tools. So not only free tools, but also premium tools. So I'm trying to also connect that. You get the tools. Here's how to use them. Uh, and my plan is to, to go even more in that and create more more tools, create more courses and cross-promote uh, those uh, between each other. To take you back to when you did that first ebook, like how long did it take and how how did it feel when you put it live? Yeah, so the first ebook took me took me a long time to to write uh, as I was working full time and I had you know, those occasional freelance clients. So whenever I had a gap, I started working on my ebook in the evenings and on the weekends, and I was you know probably overthinking it like like almost all creative people that are creating their, their first products, like trying to make it perfect and everything. But that was also the year we were expecting a baby. So that motivated me because the, uh, we had a due date in December. So my goal was to finish the ebook before the baby's born. And I feel like if it wasn't the baby, I wouldn't be motivated as much to finish the book. And we will probably extend even further than, than that. Uh, <laughs> but that motivated me to finish the ebook. Well, I finished that in December. It published this in, in January. And and so I could focus then uh, on the baby. <laughs> <laughs> and how did it go when you hit publish? You, you got a bit of an audience by then. Yeah, I got like 5,000 email subscribers at that time. And it did very well. I made like five figures in the first week selling this ebook. Then it started slowly uh, going down from there. But I was surprised by the response and how well it was received. And I, that also opened my eyes because I published this, that product and I thought that I'm now switching from, you know, like in my on my personal brand, now I'm switching from doing client work into products. But actually that ebook brought me so many clients, like people started contacting me and asking me for to do custom work, custom design work for, for their sites and custom design their, their websites. All, all because of the ebook, like probably that ebook, people could see me as an authority in this area and they wanted to have me to design the website. So that also was a big sign to me. If, if you want to have more clients, you can't just, you know, focus on, on your portfolio and doing the client work and marketing your services. Like you have to go a little bit beyond that and like create products and, you know, have a blog, like do all the stuff, you know, around that, that benefit and that you can benefit in your in your personal brand from and that can also bring you a lot of clients wow so when you released that so that was five years ago and were you still full-time employed at that point a copy blogger yes i was still a full-time employee which means so i'm just thinking you decided to build your personal brand you've made extra income which is amazing but not only that but it's bought you potential clients so how did you go about like well, I guess almost an, perhaps an almost overwhelming amount of potential work that you could be doing away from your full-time job. Did that tear you? And I guess, did you just have to say no a lot? Uh, yeah, that was that was the, very difficult for me because um, I love my job and I had still a lot in front of me in terms of having career in Copyblogger. And we had big plans and we were releasing new products I was excited about the stuff we were working on, so I didn't want to give this up. 
I was still excited about all the stuff and our company was growing like crazy. We went from like 12 employees to 60 and our company crossed $10 million a year at some point. So like everything was good happening in the company. I didn't want to give this up, but at the same time on my personal brand, on my personal business, like things also were picking up and, and we're doing very well. So I had to say no to a lot of clients, a lot of projects. I had to decide what to focus on next. And I was also, you know, it was also a good time for me. Like, you know, I wanted to spend more time with the, with my, uh, my daughter. I want to, you know, be more around the house and I let my wife to take a, to finish her school, to let her work. So like, there was also the time that like, uh, I want to focus more on the family and like, you know, relax more on the work. I didn't want to work that much on the side and handle too many things at the same time how did you know what to say no to yeah this this is very difficult and it's probably the biggest challenge right now like in the beginning when you start freelancing when you start your career you just say yes to everything and this is also like you have to learn to say yes to everything you have to take all those opportunities you have to hustle you have to you know like do a lot of things and then later when you when you progress when you when you get to this to a certain level, you have to start learn to say no, and that's very difficult. Even now, this is the biggest challenge right now to me. I have so many opportunities, even job offers, which has very good income and that you know, are very attractive because you can have a stable income. You can have health insurance, which is very important in the United States. It's very expensive uh, if you pay this on your own. So a lot of those benefits that come with a full-time job and a lot of those offers you have, but at the same time, you know, you still, you, you don't know what's waiting for you. If you say no to this job or to this offer, you never know what's waiting for you, you know, on the other side. And so I keep saying no to a lot of opportunities right now and, and keep trying to stay focused on my, on my goal, uh, on my way. And the smart way to do this is not to think only about the money because it can be very misleading if you think okay this is a better opportunity because i will make more money but it will you won't be happy doing that work that's not going to work for you and you have to decide like where i'm happy with what i like to to work on what i like to do what what do i like my everyday to look like and that's how you can start making those decisions yeah so back into your story then you to rewind five years you've released your ebook but you're at copy blogger you're saying yes to some things no to some things and settling into being a dad as well so yeah how how did it unfurl from there yeah so so i i tried to manage all those things at the same time i stayed um two three more years after releasing my ebook and i left the i left the company i quit uh it was 2006 17 or 2018 when I left and I decided to go back to my own full-time business again. I guess you've got a diverse business model for want of a better word ahead in front of you <laughs> in, in that you're not just a freelance designer at this point you've got an audience you can get products and courses ahead of you so like how how did you decide to split what you were doing? Yeah so when I left Copyblogger my first plan was to focus entirely on the products so i again i said no to many clients to many projects i i spent like six months 
focusing only on the products. And that was when I was uh, I had this idea to create design class and have courses. Um, my first was about typography that I wanted to create about colors and layouts and like all different things. But the problem was, I think I didn't do the proper research be- before doing this. And I spent way too much time building before asking if people even need this. So when I released my the first part of this course, uh, the typography part, it wasn't that much of a success as I was expecting it to be. And it was that was okay, you know, like I wasn't like losing money or anything like this. It was just, uh, I was ex- I expected a lot more from it. So, so I decided that, you know, it wasn't a good decision to like give up all the client work and focus on the other products. But it's good to have the, that balance. So, so if I can balance that and have some products, have some client work so I can keep experimenting with my products and uh, get to know my audience better, find the right product, work on that, release. And if, you know, if I hit the right product to the right market and if this goes big, then I can give up the client work probably entirely and, and focus on that. But until I get there, it's very risky to to like trust uh, just your instinct and, you know, that this is going to going to be big because like even those within that time when I was working on this product like there were, everything was changing like there were other courses released about the, those topics uh, there were you know a lot of th- these different things that was happening at the same time so you, it's very risky to have one idea stick to that and say no to everything else so you can focus just on one thing if you can balance somehow and have those you know again this backup plan of of freelancing, I feel like you'll be much better positioned. Even if if your product fails, and this, this can happen, a lot of product fails. All those beautiful stories we hear on the internet, like how someone wrote an ebook and made a you know hundred k or or made a cor- create a course and made a million dollars. Like those are the the single stories we hear. But behind them, there are like thousands of stories of people who didn't have that much of success. And you have to be aware of that and be prepared for that. Mm. And as time has gone on then, how often would you blog? How often would you send out a newsletter and communicate with their audience? Yeah, so I'm really bad in, <laughs> in keeping this regular. Uh, I have some seasons when I started blogging and, and posted every every week. Then I stopped for a couple of months and I came back to it. Then I had a, had a season where... I only sent a newsletter and didn't post anything on my website. Like I experimented a lot with a lot of different things. I feel like it's more important to, if you post um, less frequently, but try to create better content, I feel like that's more important than, than, you know, like going after this hype of blogging every day or every week and just putting uh, a regular average content out there. Uh, because some of some of the posts I really put a lot of attention and a lot of time into, um, they got very popular and they brought me a ton of traffic. And some of other posts I didn't spend that much time of doing. They were just you know another post on my site. It didn't do anything for me. Didn't do anything for my personal brand. So I would rather you know spend a day or two and write a really good article, really good post, and that is useful and goes you know all the way through the entire internet and and gets me all those links and and people that come and see and read it then just to you know fill the gap on my blog and and just to have a check mark that i posted a a post uh (laughs) 
every week, right? And where would you say you put most of your sort of marketing? I guess mark. I guess marketing would be the right word. Energy now, like how people find you and you're visible. Yeah, so I still have. Um, I still have my website. I have now. I've built a lot of those links and connections. Um, uh, people coming to my website. So I'm trying to catch uh, more people to my newsletter. In my newsletter, I have a sequence that uh, trying to segregate clients from from designers and i also have my dribble account where i post some of the designs i do i focus now more on the instagram it's very visual it's the it's the type of content that i feel like i can um, get more attention with the type of work i do so if i post a design if i post a short video of what i'm doing on a screen like that can get a lot of attention and it can bring a lot of people to my website but i'm trying to use all the social media, everything more as a, I don't want to build like a platform on Instagram. I want to build my, my huge Instagram account and have people over there. I'd rather create something on Instagram, spread that on all different social media and redirect everyone back to my website. So people can go to my newsletter, sign up for my newsletter, read my stuff, buy my products and, and I can I can get clients from there. And so it's interesting about the, the newsletter. You try and find out early on who's a client, who's a designer, so that you can then send them appropriate emails. You mentioned when you originally released your ebook, you had 5,000 on your list, which is quite a considerable amount. Do you mind if I ask how many are on your list now, like five years later? Yeah, I have now uh, 20,000 people on my newsletter, but I, I would have a lot more... But I, whenever I cross twenty thousand, I clean my list and I remove the, you know, the people who are the cold subscribers, who haven't opened my emails in a long time, uh, who are not interested, and I'm trying to maintain that list around that that number. I love that. Yeah. So even that, yeah, it's not a glory metric. That's actually twenty thousand people who might actually interact with your email rather than just have it sent and not look at it. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of people don't recommend doing this they say we should keep as many people on on this as possible you never know when someone may actually open your email or that stuff but i want the real fans people who follow me who read my stuff who are interested in doing this and it's much easier to convert them into customers i'm not a great you know marketer i'm not going to write catchy headlines and like even uh, probably convert some of those uh, people who are not convinced. So I'm not even after after those those type of audience. Yeah, do you know? I just it's such a fascinating story, especially because of the number of clients that continued to come your way. Were you ever tempted at any point to sort of build a team or like hire other freelancers and take on that work that was sitting there? Yeah. So actually, the last year in 2019. I started a design agency with with a couple of friends. Uh, it was it was me and Brian Gardner, who actually hired me in the beginning. But uh, Brian sold uh, Studio Press, and I quit Studio Press before the sale happened. So we decided, uh, why don't we try to create a, a company together? And we formed a small agency. There was five of us. There was a developer. There was a, a person that was a good marketer. So we thought like each one of us had different and good skills uh, that we can combine together. And because we had, we all had too much work. We had, all had too many clients. 
So we, we could, you know, work on the clients that are interesting to us, on the part that are interesting to us and, and outsource, you know, other work and hire other people. So that's what we did in 2019. Uh, the company was growing pretty fast. Uh, we started hiring people even full time. But by the end of the year, I decided to leave that company because I felt like it just wasn't for me. Uh, I didn't feel good. My day-to-day work started shifting from designing into being more entrepre- like entrepreneurs, uh, manager, and uh, project manager type of person, which wasn't didn't I didn't feel good in that in that role. I love designing. I couldn't you know imagine a day that I'm not designing, that I only manage projects and not doing the actual work. So by the end of the year, I decided I need to go back to where I, where it felt good. And in 2020, uh, in January, I went back and, and decided to start again as a small one-person design studio. Did you call yourself a design studio before, or would you just call yourself a freelancer? Yeah, I always call myself a freelancer, and that's why I'm trying to shift now more into a solo design studio type of thing. Like positioning yourself as a studio, I feel like has a lot more benefits than, you know, saying I'm a freelancer. It sounds like you are not established enough. You might be doing this on the side, like all those different things. But, you know, when you start working uh, with some bigger clients, bigger companies, uh, like I was working now uh, with Microsoft on some projects and positioning yourself as a as a small one person design studio sounds much better and <laughs> and you can you can probably win some of those bigger clients easier you know as a freelancer it's much easier to get through and and for sure you can get a lot more those smaller projects and you can open up yourself to more opportunities but uh yeah that's the shift i'm trying to make right now yeah and also i'm calling myself now design studio because it's not only me uh, like I am the, the main designer, but whatever, there's something development involved. I outsource development to other developers. I also have some assistants that help me even with the design work. Like I, I do all the creative, all the main work and my assistant can help me to prepare the files for the client or organize uh, the project that I was working on, get some assets, do some research. So all this, you know, stuff around the main work that I can uh, get some help with. Ah, you didn't want to remove yourself from that designing. So in fact, you found people to manage the things that go around it so that you can concentrate on that still. Yeah, that's 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 what I'm trying to... I'm not saying this is the right way to do because I haven't tested that yet. <laughs> I just started this uh, this year. I'm still trying to see how this works, but I feel it feels right to me. Like, you know, I love designing. I love all the creative work involved in, with it. I don't like, you know, spending time looking for assets or organizing those assets and uh, sending invoices, preparing contracts, doing proposals, you know, like all this stuff can be outsourced. All that can be, you can have someone to assist you and, and help you with I realise I've not actually asked you about work-life balance. Uh, you mentioned becoming uh, a parent. I'm guessing, but it's purely presumption, that you work from home these days. Maybe you used to work in office. Just a touch on that. Like, Do you feel like you've, you've, you've got it sussed? Yeah, so, yeah, I, lo- I work from home. I've been working from home for the last, uh, I don't know, probably like 10 years <laughs> since I left uh, my, my first job and started freelancing full-time. So I don't 
find this difficult uh, right now, maybe because I had uh, a lot of time to get used to it before I had a uh, family. So, so now like, you know, my daughter was born, I was already working from home and she, she already knows all the drills, like how this works. And she's even surprised when she goes to her friend's house and their parents are not working from home. Like she, she doesn't understand why. <laughs> so she gets used to it that I'm, you know, I'm in my office, then I'm working. If the doors are closed, you're not supposed to come in and like all that stuff I feel like are well established. Maybe if I was working, you know, in the office and then I suddenly start working from home and, you know, now having uh, a kid like probably will be too much and, and it will be a very hard shift to make. But uh, it's not a, not such a problem anymore. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, a one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Rafael? Okay, I... I prepared those, but I think already... Uh, <laughs> You've already given them away. <laughs> yeah, in some of my stories. But uh, So one of those is I started my adventure by coding games in C, C++. Uh, the second thing is I got a master's degree in graphic design. And the third thing <laughs> is my first full-time job was PHP developer. So the last two, you probably don't know. <laughs> So the degree was the lie. Yes. <laughs> I went to college when I came to the States and I started working in my first full-time job. I, I started making enough money to, to afford myself to start doing some, uh, taking some classes in afternoons and weekends. But I, I quit uh, college after one and a half year of, of taking classes. Like, again, like Photoshop 101 was not, had nothing to do with, with the real work design I was already doing. So Interesting, yeah. If you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I think it's, it's not for everyone. So you have to discover this by yourself. And I would say not to be afraid to explore, not to quit too soon not to give up too soon because in the beginning you will have those you know shitty clients and bad projects and you have to hustle a lot but if you can get through that and give yourself a chance to see what's really out there if you work on your work ethic i feel like you can be very successful and you wouldn't even you know look at other job offers again Awesome. Do you know, what a story. Thanks so much for sharing it with us. Go to beingfreelance.com. There'll be links through so that you can find uh, Rafal's site and check out what he's up to. Uh, sign up to his newsletter. Follow his blog so that you can see what is happening with him as he experiments across this next year in his next chapter of his work. So that's beingfreelance.com. While you're there, of course, check out the videos and the articles, over 200 episodes of this. And don't forget, I also co-host a podcast for free freelancing parents as well uh, recently nominated for best business podcast at the british podcast awards we're very excited about that if you've not heard it yet please do go listen it's called doing it for the kids such for doing it for the kids it's with me and frankie from the doing it for the kids community and i'll chat to you over there as well but for now rafael thank you so much and all the best being freelance yeah thank you steve